Scarantino, and this is the Get the Fuck Off podcast. Every week, I'm going to be talking about a new topic to help you guys get the fuck off the shit that doesn't serve you anymore. But first, let me tell you a little bit about me. I used to work as a bartender, and I lived in the New York City bar scene. I smoked between a pack or two a day, and I was what you'd call quite overweight. I learned that the secret to adopting a healthy lifestyle is a series of mindset shifts. Unfortunately, they don't always come with an owner's manual, so I decided to start this podcast to give you guys the nuts and bolts without you having to do all the research on your own. Getting healthy does not mean you have to sacrifice your outstanding personality, and it actually can be quite a fun journey. I'm really excited to have you guys on that journey with me. Let's get off together. Okay, welcome back everybody to the Get the Fuck Off podcast and I am here today with a very special guest who I've known for a really long time, but I only we've only really reconnected over COVID. I'm here with Stephanie Langner. Say hi to everybody. Hello, thank you for having me. So excited about it. So excited. We went to undergrad together uh, at Wilkes University and uh, that was back in Pennsylvania, in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, and we've kept in touch over the years. And Stephanie's story inspires the fuck out of me. She is just, I want to give you guys just a little bit of a context. She just left her job, her full-time job as a middle school teacher. You were a middle school teacher for 10 years? 11. 11 years. To, and she is going to hike the Pacific Crest Trail. And this is so exciting. And before we get into, I would love to just hear about that first, and then we'll work backwards. Okay. So is there anything in particular about that you'd like to hear? So tell me about, well, actually, you know what, we could, we could start there. This, there's a story to how you got here. Tell me, tell me where this all started. So I think it actually might've all started out in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Really? Uh, yeah. My senior year, I realized how therapeutic being out in nature was. I loved Ricketts Glen State Park with all the waterfalls. And so I had joined the environmental club, mostly just a bunch of people that like to camp in the woods. And I had camped for the first time and thought, wow, I wonder if I could like hike and camp and see these places no one sees and thought I was inventing a whole new sport. Turns out backpacking already existed. (laughs) And uh, so when I read about it, I'm like, oh, I'm totally going to do that. I called my mom the next day, told her I was going to hike the Appalachian Trail. And she gave me a book to read with not a whole lot of convincement that I was actually going to do it. (laughs) This is in 2008. That was around 2008, 2009. Yeah. And so I graduated I substitute taught day to day for a year while I was trying to get my foot in the door teaching and started my adult life and never went backpacking at all. Mm -hmm. And then in 2015, I was working on my master's degree and one of my closest friends had read the book wild as part of a course requirement. And she told me I should read it. It was about this woman that went hiking the PCT changed her whole life. And I laughed and I said, can I tell you something? And I confided in her that, you know, eight years prior, I thought I would go do something exactly like that. And I said, I always wanted to try, but who do you start with? Like, I'm not just going to go into the woods by myself, not knowing anything I'm doing. That would seem dangerous, right? Right. Who does that? And For a woman too, like. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so she kind of said, well, we could try it together. (laughs) And so we did. And in about a year, I got on the AT to hike the entire thing. Okay. So yes. So I know that that happened in 2016, right? Yes. And so tell me about what you, what led you to that moment? I mean, besides, besides the, the book and the experience with your friend and tell me about, because I know that there were a lot of things that had to happen for you to be able to have that experience. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about that. So it was kind of a very strange time in my career. 
I had worked at the middle school I went to as a child for five years, and then I was transferred to another school in the district. And that was not something I asked for or particularly wanted at the time. It actually made me feel like I had done something wrong and I had a lot of shame around that, even though I was told officially that it was because I was a great leader and the school could benefit from that change. Um, and I had just finished a two-year program learning to be a science teacher leader. And so I went to this new school and I was very burnt out in general because teaching is pure passion and love, but oftentimes when you do something filled with passion and love and there's a lot of needs to be met, it can be emotionally demanding. Right. And so a whole lot of change in my support system in the school I'm working with, new administration, I was ready to go do something for just me. And I was overweight. I was unhappy. I was, I think I was very depressed. I had had an injury that caused weight gain and I was up to 210 pounds. And was I was this your hip? Oh no, that's <laughs> okay. Okay. I won't interrupt anymore. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. the, well, so the hip <laughs> happened on trail and I kept hiking through it and that probably shouldn't <laughs> have happened. Um, but anyway, I was like 210 pounds, but I had, I had gone on a 30 mile backpacking trip. Why not 2000? Right. Right. <laughs> so I had asked for a leave of absence from my job and I had written a proposal about the reasons why. And I was very quickly, um, told that that would not happen. And so I spent the next couple months going back and forth in my head. Is this something I am willing to quit for? Mm -hmm. And so I remember the day I went into the office and, and said, I have to tell you something and told my administration that I was going to politely ask a second time, but if not, this would be it. Um, and unbeknownst to me, they went ahead and fought for months to keep my position. Really? And I was incredibly grateful for that because it was definitely a show of support and was very healing in that way after having been moved from one school to another and questioning whether or not I still had that passion and ability to really do my job the way I'd like to be proud of. Mm -hmm. And so add that to this new passion here. And with luck, I found out a week before I set foot on trail that I would have a job to come back to. So I you had, didn't, you didn't care. I mean, you did care, but <laughs> I cared. if you didn't have a job, you were still going. Yes. Amazing. Unknowing whether or not I would uh, have a good means to pay my mortgage when I got back. I right. had enough to save for the trip, but to save for the trip and an indefinite amount of time afterwards was not something I was able to do in my late 20s as a teacher. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so knowing I had a job to come back to was fantastic. And so then I set out on the trail at 210 pounds and I went southbound, which is starting with some of the most aggressive terrain on trail and kind of the opposite way most people would go. Because <laughs> you and I were, well, we're in a, in a group together on Facebook and you know I have a friend that's hiking the Appalachian Trail right now and of course going the other way. Yeah. So, so you're starting with the aggressive terrain. So you're starting, you don't have the level of fitness built up at that point. So no, I've, I've heard people talk about the trail and most people talk about it northbound. And they say, if you go northbound, by the time you've covered 70% of the terrain, you've expended 30% of the effort Wow! because that last 30% becomes much more aggressive. Right. Wow. Please continue. <laughs> so I got on trail. <laughs> I got there on you trail. are 210 pounds, 210 pounds. And a backpack that weighed probably 50 pounds between food, water, and gear. And I have an incredible friend, her trail name, because when you're out there, you often get a trail name. Uh, her trail name is True Friend because she drove me up to Maine. We left her car at a hiker hostel and got a shuttle through the 100-mile wilderness to Baxter State Park. So, there, so a hiker hostel is a real thing. Oh yeah. 
So there's so much culture in all of this. I there you'll have to probably maybe we'll stop at certain points and I'll ask about this because I'm learning as I'm speaking with you and as I'm speaking with our other my other friend who I've introduced you to that there is this there's this other world of culture. One of the things that I thought was most beautiful and most healing about being out there is the community that comes together around the trail. I mean, and it's it really amazing. is. That. It's so, amazing. So I'll refer to her by her trail name is True Friend. True so Friend. We dropped off in Baxter State Park where Mount Katahdin is, and that's the northern terminus of the trail. It's about 5,000 feet in elevation and about 5.2 miles up. So it's about 1,000 feet of elevation gain per mile. Some sections much steeper than others. Wow. And we set up our hammocks. We have a great night's sleep. We're going to get up real early and try and beat weather to the top. They were expecting some late afternoon thunderstorms. So we got up. It's nice and early. We're having a great time. We're thinking we're going so fast, so far. And we get to like rocks taller than us. And we have to figure out how to grasp on and like bear crawl up and over them because that is the trail up north. It goes up over boulders in spots. Oh my God. And so we approach treeline where they stop growing and you hit the rocky terrain where it's inhospitable to those types of plants. And the rain started. And so we keep hiking. And as we're climbing these rock scrambles, now you've got water running down the rock scrambles. Mm -hmm. And we keep having to check in. How are you doing? Should we turn it around? Because we don't have our overnight gear. This is supposed to be up and back for the day just to tag the summit of the mountain and officially begin. All our camping stuff is at the base of the mountain. And so we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. The thunder rolls in. My biggest fear before heading out there was being exposed above treeline in a thunderstorm. And right. day you one, don't here get... we are. <laughs> Getting struck by lightning. That's it. Day one. We're done. <laughs> And we had been leapfrogging with a summer camp group of girls climbing this mountain. And so they're still out here. So I think part of us is ego, probably I and I'm up. Well, we can still be out here. Yeah, too. we could do this. Sure. Um, and it got to the point where true friend and I, neither one of us were really having fun, right? It's pouring rain and a thunderstorm on um, this mountain has a section known as the ladder where there's metal rebar in it to help you hoist yourself up and over because there are sections that steep. So we made the decision that true friend would return with the camp group because they were going to turn around. And because my through hike can't start without seeing Mount Katahdin, I would press on. I couldn't have been more than a quarter mile away. And I regretted that decision terribly because I had our backpack, which means I had food, I had a snack and she had nothing other than these camp girls. And it was only a few miles down and it just felt wrong. Mm -hmm. And so I went back, we, I apologized, we had a moment and now it's really raining and these rocks are becoming waterfalls. So for safety, we kind of split off from the camp group, leave a little more space between people because we are sitting and sliding down the rocks. And we get down a little ways and my friend steps funny and, you know, curses a little and someone goes, oh my goodness, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. No big deal. Oh, that sounded like it really hurt. We're like, no, she just, she's good. And we keep hiking and hiking and hiking and two camp girls come running up from behind us. One of their counselors had slipped and impaled her leg on the metal rebar. And so we're like, what do we do? We go back and try and help, or do we now try and follow these girls that are sprinting down a mountain to make sure they don't get hurt on the way? And so we knew there were other people with her, including, I think it was like an ER doctor or a trauma surgeon, like the best possible person that could be there was there. We followed the girls down to offer help as needed. It took them two and a half hours to get to her and four and a half hours to carry her down. They had tried with the helicopter, but because with the storm in there, mm -hmm. they could not get close enough to get her out that way. And this so is your first experience on the trail. This aside is the first from, day. Aside from the 50 or so miles of the New Jersey Appalachian Trail I had hiked ahead of time. Yeah. And wow. I got down that night and still had to summit the next day. So the next day I set out at about 4.30 in the morning without seeing another soul, true friend decided she'd wait for me there. 
And when I broke tree line, the clouds were still moving out, which when clouds are moving out and you're in them, it just feels like sideways rain. And now I'm approaching these intimidating scrambles with all the fear the day before brought up in me. And I'm being hit with the rain and every muscle on my body is aching. And I'm thinking, really? You couldn't lose a couple pounds before you come out here? And quite frankly, about (laughs) months before I had, but then I was stress eating, not knowing if I was going to have a job to come back to. And I gained pounds right before I come out. So I'm like, really, instead of losing some more, you're going to gain some more weight and make this harder than it has to be. You're there in your head the entire time. You're beating yourself up. You are internalizing. You're in regret. And I get to the latter section where I know this woman was injured the day before, not knowing her condition. And I haven't seen another person up and so over. I, I went. Now you're worried. Now up and over I go. Yeah. And I laughed because it reminded me as a kid, my dad worked with glass and had these big racks on his truck. And I used to climb up the glass racks for fun. My sister and I would treat it like our own personal jungle gym. And so I actually, once I got up and over it, I laughed because in the rain and with all the fear, I was nervous to even try it. But I kind of said, yeah, but you're here, so you might as well. And when I got up and I laughed because I felt like a kid and it wasn't that scary at all. It was all in my head. Yeah. And so I keep climbing and climbing, and now I get to a section that I hadn't seen the day before. And it is narrow, like a spiny ridge of a mountain. And the rock was textured and rough, almost like pumice. And now my hands that had been gripping all these wet rocks are feeling like raw. And I was really beating myself up, especially about my weight, because every movement I was making was harder as a result of it. And I remember having to stop and duck behind a rock so that the wind would, I would get a break from the wind and the wet air just pelting me. And I realized that this is absurd. If I'm going to be this miserable, why am I even out here? I could have been this miserable every day. Right. (laughs) And so I decided for every negative that came in, we're going to have to try and look for the light, right? Like look for the positive. And so instead of the extra weight weighing me down, it's just some stored fuel that I'll need later on. But it was stored fuel. It was. Yeah. And um, so you came to this realization on day two. I, I counted day one because the day before was more of a false start. We didn't really. Yeah. It was the first day and you had that resolve that you were, you were going to, do you attribute your success in being able to complete the entire thing to that moment? I know that was one of a few moments that were really important. Okay. Um, I made it to the top of the mountain without seeing another person, which is kind of strange because people will go to this mountain and hike, right? So all, every other through hiker will finish their tra- trail there or start their trail there. And so I made it to the top without seeing anyone else, could not see more than 20 feet ahead of me some of the time. And on my way back down, I see another person who's finishing. Uh, I think it had taken him about 20 years to put sections together. And this was his last day. And so that was a beautiful moment in just hearing about that and seeing the excitement and knowing the dedication it takes to spend 20 years doing this. Um, And so I keep going and the clouds started apart and it was like a beautiful bluebird day. And the height I had climbed blew me away. And I was grateful for the clouds then because I think had I seen what I was climbing up, there would have been a whole lot more fear. Right. And so on my way down, I met a guy who was angry at the mountain because it was unfair that they would make this part of the hike because he had hiked all over the world and this isn't hiking, it's climbing. He Mm. was angry. And I tried to be gentle and reassuring and well, define what it means to you then. And, And I got up to walk away and I didn't realize it at the time but I started to go in a circle and I couldn't figure out why, because there was a blaze and the blaze are the little paint marks that are designed to let you know where the trail is. So like I'm on trail, there's a blaze. 
but then I'd see a steep drop off and I had been at this part three times already. Like I know it, <laughs> I had been up and I'd been down. I had been up. This was not part of it. And it, I, I'm getting anxious and moving faster. And I rolled my ankle. Oh, fuck. And I had weak ankles before I ever did this. <laughs> and I, I was afraid that that would be my body's failing point. And so day one, I roll my ankle and then I realize I'm not on trail because the trail will change from year to year. They occasionally do reroutes and I'm looking at an old blaze from an old section of trail. Holy shit. So I'm lost on day one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I just sprained my ankle. I could feel it swelling because I've done it enough times to know when it's bad. And I, I eventually see other people. So I just walk in that direction and I found my way back down. But in that time, when true friend was waiting for me at the bottom, she saw one guy who, oh, have you seen my friend? Yeah, she's coming. She's right behind me. Oh, another person passes. Oh, have you seen my friend? Oh, yeah, she was ahead of me. And now she's all worried because we had had that traumatic experience the day before. And when I come down, she tells me all of that. And I was just grateful to be down. I think she gave me the biggest hug I ever had. She was so relieved to see me. And I took off my shoe and it was swollen to the size of a golf ball under my mm. ankle. So how long did that set you back? We set out to the hundred mile wilderness the next day because we only had about 11 days worth of food and about 114 miles to cover. So when you're on the trail, you, there are, there are places where you can re-up your supplies essentially. Yeah. I on see. the Appalachian trail, it crosses a town on average every three to five days. And at the northern end, it's actually 115 miles before a town. So you have to carry a little bit more food. It'll take a little longer to go that distance. But when you pass into town, you resupply either at the local grocery stores or gas stations. Or if you're like me with a true friend back home, you get them to mail you resupply boxes that you pack ahead of time. Right. I like real food. I want it to be nutritious and delicious. And so I dehydrated a lot of my own food ahead of time and had it mailed to me at the post office. Oh, that's amazing. So this journey on the Appalachian Trail. So you talked about, we talked in the past about other mindset shifts that you've had to, that you needed to have happen for you to be able to complete this. And can you tell me more about some others? I mean, and as you were hiking. So with the ankle sprain and the heavy weight starting out, it was very early on that I realized I had to find gratitude in those moments or I would just be miserable. So when it came to my ankle, I would try and cultivate gratitude for the fact that it's my ankle. They've always been weak. At least it's not my knee or something else to that effect. And so as the days would progress at some point or another, true friend and I would practice a river of gratitude. And usually I'd say, suggest we do this when I was crankiest, because that I knew that was something that would help. And we would just kind of take turns back and forth talking about the different things we're grateful for. And I think through that, I've learned to love an uphill climb, which a lot of people think is strange because you get on an uphill climb and it's just hard all the time. Everything about it is harder than being flat. Your heartbeat is faster. Your breath becomes shallower. Muscularly, it's harder. But it lets me know exactly where I am with my mindset. If there is anywhere that my inner critic is going to come out, it's on an uphill climb. Absolutely. And that's that's where I get to kind of confront those things. And so learning to embrace those challenges has been really important for me. And have you been able to translate that to life following? It's a work in progress. Okay. It is, it is far easier for me to be present and kind of start with the physical and start with those feelings in my body than it is sometimes to tackle anxiety or, or something like that, where it's a little bit harder to point to exactly what's making me unhappy. Now in your life leading up to this point, what are some things that you think that you were looking for when you set out to do this hike? I think for a long time, I've been seeking some sort of sense of spirituality. Um, when I was 25, 
I went to a 200 hour intensive yoga teacher training in Costa Rica. And I think that was on that same path as well, because I think I'm still in the process of defining what spirituality is for me. But I think that there are two places where I feel most like that. And it's on my yoga mat and out in nature. It's fascinating that you say that because as there's definitely a link between how you move and utilize your physical body. And, you know, I'm a person that has discovered spirituality later in life. And I always think that it's interesting that people seem to get the most clarity when they are moving their physical bodies. Would you say that the culture that exists on the trail is one that is highly spiritual? I think that that probably depends a lot on how you define spirituality, but there are some threads that I think no matter your practice, people would kind of agree upon. There is a kindness and a propensity for helping one another that far surpasses what I see in a day-to-day experience in normal society, so to speak. Uh, People will talk about trail angels. They're your regular town people that just happen to pop up when you need it and offer exactly what you didn't know you needed. And there we talk about trail magic and those are little acts of kindnesses that people do for you. So when I was out on trail, people would occasionally I'd get to a road crossing and there'd be a cooler there. You're in the woods, right? And there's a road yeah. crossing and there- cooler. you open it up with a little, there's a little sign in there that says something nice. And then there's candy or cookies or hostess cakes or soda or water. And when you're burning four to 8,000 calories a day, because you're hiking anywhere from 15 to 20 miles a day, any extra fuel, no matter the form is always appreciated. So you were at the beginning of this journey, you were 210 pounds. And would you say that your mindset changed around food and how you thought about food in relation to your body? I think I had been on a long journey with that as well. As someone who was never particularly thin and grew up in the 90s and 2000s, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was <laughs> aware of the fact that even when I was the most fit I was in my life, around when I knew you and I was teaching a bunch of group exercise classes, even then I was thicker, right? So right. Yes. I, <laughs> I had learned everything that the media wants you to know about food. And I had actually, around the time I was heading to yoga teacher training, I had found out I had borderline high cholesterol. The doctor wasn't worried. It was a great ratio. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. I'm 25. So I read a book about how you could use your diet to lower your cholesterol. And I had adopted a primarily vegetarian diet already before I took to the trail, which was another reason it was really important for me to make my own food because I wanted to be able to continue to eat in the most healthful way I knew how. That makes sense. And I will say that for as much as I abused my body, I think the nutrition helped tremendously because a lot of hikers will talk about, they call it vitamin I, which is just ibuprofen. They're taking it every day because everything hurts and their joints. They shouldn't be doing that. The inflammation's important. Well, so I'm someone who goes, yeah, but if my body's in pain, it's trying to tell me something. So I'm not going to take anything. And good for you. I'm going to eat primarily vegetarian. So it keeps the inflammation in my body lower. And I actually 500 miles from the end of trail fell really hard and my hip really hurt. And I went, Oh fuck, that was bad. That was bad. That was really bad. And I go, but I can stand. Yeah, I can stand. And I tried to walk and I had 45 miles to go to where I was meeting my family for Thanksgiving. So I walked another five miles and I went to bed and the next day I hiked 20 and I went to bed and the next day I hiked 20 all the while my hip really just not feeling good. And Mm -hmm. I just found out last year I had actually torn my labrum and joint capsule in three places. So this is where we're at. So this is you and I reconnect at the beginning (laughs) of COVID. Yeah. 
we're at this part. This is kind of, I, I started the podcast with this, but now we're, we've come full circle. So you had to make some tough decisions. So you wanted to hike the PTC, the PCT, PCT. Yeah. <laughs> you wanted to hike the PCT and there was a lot going on there. So you had the hip and then there were some other factors. So please, so, I would love for you to tell that story about every, everything that had to happen yeah. from the beginning of COVID to now for you to be able to do this and why that was important to you. So before I even left the AT, I knew I wanted to hike the PCT. I, I was hooked long distance backpacking is my thing. And I would like to continue doing it for as long as my body can do it. And so I had talked to everyone else I had finished with on the AT. We call them a trail family when you move together because you take care of each other like family. <laughs> so everyone in the trail family, I'm like, PCT 2020, you coming? Because I figured that would allow me 10 years in my teaching position and I could have a vested pension. It would give me enough time to save the money to be able to confidently walk away from my position. And I would be able to downsize my life because I had bought a house. And while it wasn't a large house, it was filled with crap I didn't need. So there was a long process of kind of undoing a lifetime of learning to hoard. <laughs> right. So a lot of the stuff I didn't actually need because living out of a backpack, I had never been happier and I had very little. So obviously I don't need most of what I had. And so it was a long time of kind of undoing. And I had every intention of getting on trail in June of 2020. And I had had right ankle surgery and then I had had left ankle surgery and they're asking everyone to stay home and I have a permit to hike the PCT. I had mm -hmm. spent the last four years waiting and building and I, I did countless hours of physical therapy before surgery, after surgery to get myself ready. I was not even thinking about my hip. I had run a marathon. I had hiked 500 miles of the AT and then another like 600 miles of another trail after Okay, that. you ran that marathon like what, 2018 or 2019? It was recent. It was right it was yes. right before the pandemic. Because I, I remember. I lost all sense of time with the pandemic. That's because we don't fucking call, when we say last year, we're talking about 2019. Like yes. we're not even talking about 2020. But yeah, so I, I think I, it yeah, was 20, you, yeah, it was 2019. 2019, so, you run a marathon at a relatively good pace from what I remember. I mean, oh, I, I was so bummed because I didn't have pace in mind. I figured if I finished, I'd be happy. And then as the date gets closer, you get a little cocky and you're like, training's going great. I want to do it under five hours. Respectable, not fast, right? You did and though, didn't you? It was a monsoon. The course was flooded up. Was it, um, wait, was it Marine fucking, Corps? uh, Marine Corps? Yes, yeah. it was that fucking year. Yes. yes. It was all over the internet about you had probably the worst first marathon and, experience. And then I get like 10 miles in and I'm like, I need the porta potty. <laughs> like this. Uh... <laughs> and so I wait online oh. to use the porta potty. I finished my official time is five hours and three minutes. And you know, I'm going to have to do another one because those three minutes are going to bother me, even though I and it, you were in line for the porta potty. <laughs> I was in line for the porta potty. It was monsoon conditions after the monsoon though, it became like 80 and humid. So I etched the shape of my sports bra into my body with the amount of chafing I had. Get out. Oh my God. <laughs> You, I mean, I, my, my first marathon was hell. It was, it was 80 degrees when I finished, but I mean, it's nothing compared to, be, right? to that. Not, yeah, but it's not supposed to be like, you know, you train, it's going to be your first effort. The universe goes, fuck you. Let's see if you really want this. I mean, I mean, the universe said, fuck you to you in the but beginning you why, of, of the AT. after Halloween. So there was all sorts of Halloween candy. So I'm eating a Tootsie Roll at mile like 21. And then I regret it because my throat is coated with that sticky chocolate Tootsie Roll. Oh, Who God. would eat a Tootsie Roll at mile 23? <laughs> Luckily for me, they had shots of Fireball next. So that- No, they didn't. Did they really? Get out. Oh, wow. I could talk about this all day, but I want to go, I want to go back. Yes. All right. So you had run, you had done all these things. So you weren't even thinking about the hip. Never, never even looking into what's going on with my hip. Because if, if I can do these things, I can't be hurt. Right. Cause I can right. do all these things. And so with COVID hitting the news, the Pacific Crest Trail Association asked permit holders to consider staying home. 
They did not say you had to. Mm-hmm. Which put me and my friend in this moral dilemma because we have the permits. We've been planning this for four years. Ah, what do we do? I said, well, I think maybe I'll go to the doctor about this hip I've been ignoring for four years and I'll let that make my decision. And when I went to the doctor, my main complaint was, you know, it just doesn't feel real stable. And when I stretch, I can bring the shin of my leg up to my chest and then it feels like my femur is not in the right spot. And he goes, well, that's not exactly how that works, but let's get an MRI. And then lo and behold, I had torn my labrum and joint capsule off the pelvis and it needed to be reattached. And it was that way since 2016. Yes. And And so I ran a marathon. And his first word seeing the MRI were usually people with this much damage don't come in so asymptomatically. I'm like, oh, I shouldn't be able to walk. Got it. Um, so I asked what the the worst case scenario is if I don't fix it, because honestly, I've been living like this for four years. So what, what happens if I choose not to have surgery? And he said, in a best case scenario, 15 years, I'll need a total hip replacement because the cartilage would be so damaged that there would be no repair. And so PCT 2020 was not going to happen. And I was going to have hip surgery. And seeing as I had already sold my house, my parents had very graciously allowed me to stay with them. But I knew that if I was going to really focus on getting myself back to the best health I could and get on trail, that having my own little space to do that in, especially a space without any stairs, was going to be important. Mm -hmm. And But I definitely had a moment where I was just a mess because I had to ask myself, how messed up in the head am I? If I could tear things off the bone and just tell myself it's okay. Because I definitely grew up hearing a lot of you're oversensitive Mm -hmm. or, or being called a hypochondriac. And so when I fall and do hurt myself, I mean, it's pretty incredible. And I'm in awe of the fact that my brain could say, no, no, you're just oversensitive. Keep walking. Like to me, I'm kind of in awe of the fact that I I did get up and keep walking and it was okay. And I, I do believe movement keeps inflammation down. And when I would hike, it actually felt better than when I would be more sedentary. Um, But it it was very eye-opening for me because I did not realize how much of my time and energy is spent on not feeling or not mm-hmm. trusting what I knew. I knew my hip was messed up. It was, it was the first thing I said is, oh, this is bad. This is bad. This is really bad. Right. Right. I knew it. Yeah. And you, I wanted to, if it's okay, if we talk about it, but I remember you were, we talked about some of the things that you had been told when you were younger about you're oversensitive, you're just, you know, you're being whatever, melodramatic, you know, all of these things. And how much of that do you think? I mean, it really, really does have to do with how you were thinking about yourself and your body and what changes have you made since? I mean, I know we talked about the fact that your parents offered to let you stay, <laughs> What, what thought processes have you had to adjust to move into that place of self-love and caring for yourself and healing? I have to think real long and hard about who my inner critic really is, because I think most of us, when we are going to that place of inner critic, we've heard it somewhere before. Right. I mean, when you look at children, I work with kids. I love kids. You look at children you find them young enough and they're curious and they're in awe of the world around them. And usually the most annoying habit is why, but why, but why Uh they don't go around going, you suck or you're complaining too much, you know, like they're generally just curious and in awe of the world around them. And so in addition to yoga, I've been working a lot on mindfulness and meditation, and it's been something that has been in and out of my life a lot, but I knew going into this surgery that that was going to be a really important practice for me. I had the wonderful benefit of being in a mindfulness course at the time as well. And so I targeted a lot of the practices on 
looking introspectively, staying curious. If I start having a negative thought, stop and ask the question of who's, who have you heard say that before? Because there's no reason for that here. Right. What absolutely. Make, or, or the question, what makes you think that? What makes you think you're being oversensitive? Or, I mean, really, what makes you think you should invalidate the feelings you're having? Because we all have emotions, whether we want to address them or not. Right. Often they, they come concurrently. You can have more than one emotion around something at the same time, but you still have to let yourself feel them and experience them so you can move through them. And I think part of my first hike on the AT was figuring out how to get unstuck because I think I was stuck in a lot of heavy emotions. And it was that first step in unsticking. <laughs> You know, I talk a lot about uh, getting unstuck because as you probably know about me, I've been stuck. I was stuck a really long time and I've had to go through a lot of this inner work that you have had, but I, I bring people like you and I admire you so much. I mean, I really do. I, I wanted to bring you and, and hopefully in the future others to my audience because they are working on that. And I would love for you, if you can to give some advice to whoever may be listening about thing about what, what to do, what to do, what you would do, a simple thing that you would do to help Start people. With a breath. Start with a breath and a pause. I love it. And, and then there's two, two directions I go with it. It's either the curiosity and the questioning why does my hip hurt? Where does it hurt? How specific can I get? What movements trigger it more? Which movements are going to be more comfortable? What's actually weak here? Is it weak or is it tight? Is it tightness causing weakness or weakness causing tightness? <laughs> you know, like trying to stay curious and ask as many questions as possible. And if I, if I get to an answer to the questions, great. But if not, I'm no longer stuck on the negative thought. It's important. And then the other one, was the practice of gratitude. When the inner critic comes out, why'd you have to gain another 20 pounds? Well, I'm grateful for this because it's going to be my stored energy. It's now forward thinking, but I've also found a way to directly combat that negative thought. By the time I finished, I had lost 50 pounds and I had been eating everything possible to try and keep myself going. One of my biggest fears going into this next trail is I don't have 50 pounds to lose. I could lose maybe 30, but after that, I think I'd start to be unhealthy for my size. And so I'm, I'm a little worried now about if I lost that much last time, how much more do I need to eat? Because I was already eating more than I thought I could. Well, I think that last time you lost a lot of fat. And I think this time your body's a much more efficient energy burner and your body, your body has adapted in ways that you just didn't have the fitness the last time. So I wouldn't go into it necessarily scared. <laughs> um, but I, I would, I would go into it. I would go into it with the same mindset that you had the last time and, and focus well, on and fueling. So that's where I have to go back to the gratitude piece, right? I am still grateful. I don't have to carry an extra 50 pounds with me this time. Right. And so that's, those would be kind of my two actionable pieces is curiosity and gratitude. And that doesn't mean you can't acknowledge the hard either, because one of the first things I saw out on trail was a northbound. So that's people starting in the south, heading north, trail mm -hmm. family of hikers that were about to finish. They were a day or two out. And when they came together at night, they'd go through their highs and their lows for the day. And I just thought that that was such a beautiful way to kind of acknowledge that it's not all rainbows and butterflies, but it's also not all rain, right? There, there is both and they can coexist within the same day, even within the same moment. And that's a powerful analogy for life. I think that that's, that is how we exist. And we oftentimes want to exist in this utopia where everything is beautiful and everything is great. And when you're in love, you're in euphoric love all the time. And it's like, no. And you I'm can an be on trail and it's euphorically beautiful with these vistas that go on for miles. And then just a few hours later, you're at the base of a waterfall. And then a few hours later, a stunning lake and then a thunderstorm, right? <laughs> like Mud. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Listen, I, I can't tell you the number of times I've stepped into mud that was deeper than my ankle and you get the whole shoe getting suctioned down into oh, it. Oh, I bet. Great. I'm like five days out from my next shower. <laughs> can I, can I just ask, I want to ask a really yeah. personal question. Go right ahead. And I, I apologize if you don't want it, but as a woman. Yes. Is it, is it, are there's challenges there? I mean, do you just, do you just take all of that with you until you get to a town? Like when those are chat, when that happens or. I am going to answer your question in more detail than anyone probably wants to hear. So some listeners may want to fast forward just a little bit. Um, so when you're <laughs> out in the woods, you, you have to relieve yourself, right? Uh-huh. We have to pee, we have to poop and women will still get their period. Now, yes. not all women, because some women choose with birth control to skip their period or some women, when their body fat percentage gets low enough, their period can stop altogether. I was neither of those categories. So I did have it and I have to deal with it. There are different ways to handle it. And so I'll let you know what the options are and I'll leave it to people's imaginations to choose which one they think I used if they want to think about that at all. So I'm thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) So the general ways to handle it are things like pads, tampons, or menstrual cups, right? That's I'm thinking just generally here here and how you want to handle that. There's reusable and disposable pads. And I, I kind of think of tampons and menstrual cups. Menstrual cup is kind of the reusable, right? Mm-hmm. So if you choose to use a pad or a tampon or a menstrual cup, it's got to go with you. Like those yeah. things aren't going to naturally biodegrade and it would actually be really unhealthy for the ecosystem if you were to put that into it. So your options are to... Wash and reuse in the field if you've got something like a menstrual cup or reusable pads, or you pack enough and pack them back out after they're used. Usually Mm. multiple sealed plastic bags, maybe inside of a stuff sack that people don't have to see. I figure it's only a couple months. I mean, how many times do you have to do it? Five, six, <laughs> five days I, in a row, six different times. Oh my God. You know, I, I really, I didn't want to necessarily go there because we were talking, we were so beautiful and spiritual and I have to go bring up periods, but it was a general, genuine but question that I, thing, right? And it so, is. And if even just in with the bathroom in general, like you're supposed to go off trail and especially if you're going to poop, you're supposed to dig a hole six inches deep or deeper that you are then going to rebury and Mm -hmm. you're not supposed to put the toilet paper in there. You're supposed to pack that out because it doesn't always decompose easily. Mm -hmm. Now, along the Appalachian Trail, there are a lot of shelters and at most shelters, there are privies. They're like an outhouse. In those, there are different types and they will have a sign on it sometimes saying it's okay to put toilet paper in this one. Okay. Please no baby wipes because they're not going to decompose. Right. All of that kind of stuff is part of leave no trace principles, which are the best ways to kind of honor the land and make sure you're respecting it and not damaging it. And so- I want to go go off of that. I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt, but like you said, leave no trace. What are some other principles that you follow on the trail that you think are, that are like that, that are general to life, that are good for, that are respecting of the earth, of each other? So there are actually specific leave no trace principles. There's like an official website and there are seven principles for leaving behind minimal impact. And so um, one of them that's very relevant this season that not everybody realizes or knows about is that you should, well, the official phrasing is travel and camp on durable surfaces. But what people don't think about is that early spring with snow melt, if you try and avoid the mud and you go around the mud, you compact the earth that's not directly on trail. And over years, and especially in sensitive seasons when the ground is all muddy, that's going to actually widen the trail and start to encroach on the natural space, so to speak. Mm. And so there are, the seven principles are plan ahead and be prepared. 
travel and camp on durable surfaces, dispose of waste property properly. So that would include human waste, right? Right, right, right. Leave what you find, minimize campfire impact. So this is like after your fire, make sure you douse it in water and stir it up real good. So you're not gonna accidentally set the wilderness on fire. Mm-hmm. Respect wildlife, which includes not feeding them and be considerate of other visitors. So those are their like official things. But if you really explore and learn about each one of those, it has a lot to do with how you're gonna care for yourself in the space around you. That's amazing. And I think it translates so well. I mean, I, I, I know that it was a life altering experience for you and everyone else that I've ever heard of that has had any type of similar experiences shared that. And I want to, I want to go back to the PCT. So you had to, you chose to have the surgery and you chose to move into your own space and just talk to me a little bit about the time between then and now and, and following, um, I want to hear about when you're leaving, when you're going, when it's happening. All right. So I had surgery in early, just July, uh, just a couple days after I moved into my new apartment. And so as a teacher, I do not have to go into school July and August. So I made physical therapy my full-time job. I also made diet my full-time job. So I did things like eating a vegan diet, but also including more ginger and turmeric and garlic and onions because they are healthy anti-inflammatories and making sure I had pineapple because bromelain helps break down scar tissue and really doing everything that was within my control to try and allow myself to heal as much as possible. Um, And so that was a lot. Adding on to that, my full-time job in September was even more. And we had a lot of inconsistencies all school year. We were remote. We went in person. We got quarantined for a few weeks. We went back remote. We're back in person. Now I have students that are in person and on the computer at home simultaneously all at once as I'm teaching. And And you never got COVID. I think I might have had it before it made the news because I was sick for like three weeks with an awful cough that when I went to the doctor, they put me on antibiotics, a steroid, a cough medicine, a nebulizer, and an inhaler. And it still took three weeks to resolve. I did go. Yeah. And it was the February of 2020, right? So it was right before it really exploded here in the U.S., and I live 14 miles from New York City in a Yeah, we had it we had it since early February. I mean, easily, easily yeah. since early February. When but- I did go for my vaccine, the second dose, I had every side effect and pretty dramatically. And they do say that that's happens sometimes if you've already been exposed. So, who knows? <laughs> I never right. tested positive for what that's worth. So, I was I was doing a lot of teaching, a lot of physical therapy. I had a really hard time when that ended. I I did not feel like I was ready to go yet. And I still feel like I am asymmetrically strong on the right side. So the surgical side on the left definitely has a ways to go. So I'm trying to make sure that every day I'm doing a little bit of at least body weight training or stretching and foam rolling to make sure that I stay on top of the progress that I've made and continue to progress until I get out on trail. I love your commitment to make the small, the small investments, the small investments. Would you say that the small daily investments? I'm so bad at it, but they are the most valuable. Like it would be better for me to do 10 leg lifts a day than it would be for me to try and every other day, go do something aggressive. I'd much rather go hike nine miles every other day. But I know that what I need are the step ups and the glute bridges. And I am not as disciplined as I sound in doing it. I have the plan and I try to be consistent, but consistency can be really hard for me at times. We fall into that. We all are like that, though. We all want to do what we like and then we'll work in the other shit. (laughs) But (laughs) yeah, I think I, I think that you the the bigger picture your your why is large and i i think 
from what I see, you are making a lot of investments into that. Why? Because you want this so much. Does it, when did you actually sell? Did, was the sale of the house for this hike? Yes. And I, so I listed it earlier than I needed to because I was very concerned about it selling. It's in a lake community in northern New Jersey. I loved it. I used to lay in bed and watch sunrise over the lake. It was fantastic. Oh, wow. And I was about five miles from where the Appalachian Trail goes through Vernon. And there was a ski resort seven minutes away. So in the winter, I could go skiing and snowboarding. And I taught there for five years. And so it really had a little bit of everything that I loved but I was very worried about it selling. I was worried about it passing a septic inspection. There, there were a lot of home issues and repairs that just as a single woman trying to maintain a home and work full time and pursue really outrageous dreams, it was a lot to manage. So I listed it about a year and a half before I planned to get on trail, figuring it's gonna take a few months to sell. And it did, it took me like eight or nine months before it finally sold. And so the plan was to live with my parents for about a year. And if you're in your 30s and you've lived away from home for over a decade and you go back, that's really hard no matter who you oh are God. what the relationship is. Stay with my parents for 10 days during COVID. 10 days after New York hit phase one, I went to visit my parents. So this is like now we're in June. COVID started in March of 2020. I was with them for 10 days and I thought, oh my God, like your routine is so, it just contradicts my routine so much because people always think, oh, it's fine. I can go live with this person. I can go live with this person. You get so stuck in your ways. People want to talk about being stuck. You never realize how much of a creature of habit and how you are until you go try to cohabitate with someone else that has been doing their shit for 30 yeah. years. You, know? <laughs> you, you show up in their house and all of a sudden, obviously you don't know how to load a dishwasher anymore. Cause someone has to go in and load it differently after you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my God. It's so much you, but, but and those you, are the little things that are easy to laugh about. You did right? it though, right? You did it. You stayed with them a bit. So I, I was there for a little over a year and uh, then I decided it was time to go live in my own place. <laughs> I remember so- that. My, my lease is up the end of June, but on June 23rd, which is the day after the school year ends for me, I will be getting on a plane to Seattle. And so I'll fly to Seattle where I'm meeting two other AT through hikers. So I met one of them on my journey. She and I actually finished the trail together. And the other one I met a few years later, I was hiking the long trail in Vermont. And he happened to be on the Appalachian Trail. And they're actually one in the same for about 150 miles in the South. So we kind of met each other there, hiked together for a week or so. And then I helped him and the other hikers out again when they passed through New Jersey. And so he took me up on my PCT 2020 one. (laughs) And so the three of us are going to meet in Seattle. Uh, One of them has a friend that's going to join us and drive us to the trail where we'll have to hike about 40 miles to the Canadian border. And then our 2,600 mile adventure to Mexico begins. That's, that's just amazing. How long is that going to take you to do? How long does it take on average for a hiker to, to do that? So on the AT, it took me five months and 22 days. And even though the PCT is about 400 miles longer, it's actually graded for pack animals. So I shouldn't have to scramble over any rocks with supporting bars like ladders. Mm. <laughs> pack animals can go on it. You could horseback ride it if you wanted. And so they say that if you've done the AT first, you can do the PCT about a month faster. So I'm expecting somewhere around five months to complete that. Now, I have a lot of people talk to me about minimalism and a minimalist lifestyle. What if you have, if you can give anybody any, any type of advice or wisdom about that, go backpacking, you'll learn what you really need. If you have to carry it all, (laughs) what would you say is a commonality between you and all of the other people that you've met? What do you, what would be the one thing? I don't know if it's a one thing commonality or if anyone else would agree with me on this, but I think one thing that kind of brings hikers together is the fact that when we're out there, 
right? You're in the wilderness. You are innately vulnerable, right? Like there are threats to your life, whether it's standing on top of the mountain in a thunderstorm or the wild animals everyone's afraid of, or really the person who's not entirely stable that might actually be a threat, right? I think Mm. we all feel that sense of vulnerability, even if people don't want to admit it. And I'm pretty confident in that based on solely the number of people who ask me if I bring a weapon, right? And I, I, I bring a knife mostly for if I have to cut a piece of string or something like that. Yeah. But people think there, you should carry a gun to protect yourself. So I think there's something about that moment of vulnerability that becomes almost like a common thread and perhaps where that community comes from. Mm. Interesting. I would, I would definitely feel as a woman and just being, I'm, I live in New York city. So I feel we're only only 14 miles apart, you know, it's true. It's true. Excuse me. But, um, I'm slightly, I experience, and I've noticed this about myself in my life. I experience slight agoraphobia and there is a lot of, I can, I can tell that there, for me, there would be a lot of fear in that open space, but you all seem to embrace it. And that's cool. That's really cool. So earlier you asked me about spirituality. Mm -hmm. When I get to certain points, especially the ones that are like big open spaces and expansive views, there's something about them or even like think about a night sky with more stars than you've ever seen before. When I look at something like that, either one, I feel insignificant, but in like a really reassuring way. That makes and sense. So, so for me, sometimes those wide open spaces are more of a comfort and a warm embrace because I'm just this little speck in this grand, greater thing. And I think that might be the best capsule for my sense of spirituality right now. I love it. I think it's beautiful. I think that it's beautiful. And I am in awe of your just you doing this. I just think that it's amazing. I love to watch your journey. I am so excited for you. You've got what, a month? A month and change till you fly to Seattle. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's great. I, I'm so honored that you came on the podcast to tell the story, to tell your story. Do you have any parting words for anybody? What are you doing tomorrow? You want to go for a hike? Oh my God. You know, you're serious too. <laughs> yeah, we have you're to have, serious. We have the day off for Eid and I have some plans with the women I ran the marathon with the blister buddies and I are going on a hike and it's not far from a train station. I love that. I love that you are one of those people that wants to just take people with you and be like, let me show you this beautiful thing. It's going to happen. Scare- we're going to go on a hike. Together. It'll scare you because the one we're going on has a rock scramble and some spectacular wide open views. But if you're looking to learn to love the uphill climb and dive in head first, you let me know. Learn to love the uphill climb. I will. Absolutely. I have, I have embraced it in other areas of my life metaphorically, but I would like to learn to embrace it in, in the actual world, because I, I avoid a hill like the plague. I mean, people can, as a runner, my, my friend, Josh will tell you it. I don't, I don't do it. So I, I, there's a lot to be, uh, there's a lot to learn there. I think I can, I could be humbled in my, in I that way. I feel like you and I might be running yin and yangs because if I want to run up something, it's like, oh, look at that hill. I'm going to run up the hill. And then like the rest of it, I'm not really that interested. <laughs> and I want to be, we are yin and yang. We are, we're getting yang. So tell me, so for everybody that's listening that wants to follow your adventure, because I know that there is going to be, there's going to be stuff on the internet about it. I know you want to share. Where can everyone find you? So I am at Mountains of Learning on Facebook and Instagram, and even mountainsoflearning.com is my website. You might, if you do some digging, be able to find some old stuff from previous hikes, but be gentle. I'm still under, under construction. I was working on revamping it. 
because I'm hoping while I'm out hiking the PCT, I can capture some original footage and maybe make some content that can even be used in classrooms like virtual field trips or instructional videos, things like that. Oh, that would be so cool. Well, I am wishing you all of the best on your next adventure. I'm going to be following you on social media and we will be in touch otherwise. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It was so great having you. And I'd love to do this again, especially if you want to do it from like, I don't know, a mountaintop or something. You know, if we can make it work with the cell service, then I'm all about it. That about wraps it up for today, guys. You can tune in next week. I'm going to have another awesome guest. In the meantime, if you guys have something that you are interested in sharing on the Get the Fuck Off podcast, you can email me, Andy, A-N-D-E-E, at getthefuckoff.com. It can be any type of story. As you've seen, I've had two very different guests so far, and I have very different guests coming up. But what everybody has in common, the underlying theme of Get the Fuck Off, is getting the fuck off the shit that doesn't serve you anymore so that you can live into your most true, authentic self. And that oftentimes means getting out of your own way, changing your mindset, moving into a healthy lifestyle, healthier lifestyle, and reframing a lot of those thoughts that you have that can be self-defeating and make them thoughts that serve you better. So if you have a story like that and you want to share it, please hit me up. Um, You can also visit me on my website, getthefuckoff.com, and I'm on Instagram, underscore, getthefuckoff. Also on Instagram, at microstepsforward. So that's a new experiment. I'm just plugging it here. Microstepsforward is my second Instagram handle. It is just for words. It's a personal blog. It's kind of a pet project of mine. So a shameless plug for Micro Steps Forward in this podcast. But I am so looking forward to having you all back here next week and have another awesome guest, as I said. And in the meantime, you guys stay beautiful, be free, and I'll see you very, very, very soon. Bye.